that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toil and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Well, that's a first. <laughs> I've never sung, I don't think, in a sermon. But my memory's uh, as bad as my singing, so who knows. Amazing grace. Grace is amazing. Grace is what this part of Romans chapter 12 is all about. And grace is at the essence of the start of the Christian life. It's what will bring us to the end of the Christian life. And it's what will take us all the way through. Grace, grace, grace. You know, we need to grasp grace for our salvation. And it's not simply that we start with grace, but grace is to fuel our lives. Once we grasp that God has been gracious to us, may we never let that go. May God help us to not grow out of his grace. One of the dangers I've seen as I've been a Christian for a long time and around churches uh, for a long time is that Christians and sometimes churches can forget grace. We can give assent to it. You know, we can talk about the doctrines of grace and the importance of, of knowing grace and preaching grace, but yet we can forget to live grace, to show grace to one another, to speak in a way which is gracious, to appreciate that we don't deserve what we've got and that but for the grace of God, we wouldn't have what we've got. Friends, worship is fueled by grace. Worship is fueled by God's grace to us through Jesus Christ. Let's uh, take a look at this part of Romans 12. We're picking it up at verse 3. I'll just read it again. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now to quickly recap where we've come from. Uh, in verse 1, God's mercies were in view. God's generous mercies to us in Christ dying for our forgiveness and our new life. And then we see that that mercy is to lead to living a life of appropriate response. If Jesus has given us everything, if we've died with him and been raised with him, then we will give him everything in response. Our whole lives, living sacrifices, bodily, are to be lived out in worship of God. 
And we've seen also in verse 2 that the means to getting that happening is through not conforming to the ways of the world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds. And then we'll be able to know God's perfect will. So, verse 3, By the grace given me, I say to every one of you. The Apostle Paul, in some ways you could say he's the Apostle of grace, though they're all Apostles of grace. But Paul knew that deep down. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a strict Pharisee, Pharisaic teacher. That, that meant he'd been to Bible school for many, many years. He knew his scriptures inside out. And he thought he had all the right credentials when it came to God. The way that he lived, the knowledge, the education, he had it all going for him. But one day he met the resurrected Jesus. And he realized that he'd been persecuting Christ. He'd been persecuting God's chosen Messiah. And all of his effort, all of his hard work, all his religious observance was pointing him in the wrong direction. He came to discover very, very personally that it's not what he did for God that mattered. It was what God had done for him in Christ. So Paul knows this grace. And this grace fuels his behavior. The things that he does, the things that he has to say are here to the Romans. Paul knows God's grace and the implications of him knowing God's grace calls people to take that on board and to live according to God's grace. Now, I want to read verse 3 again. Uh, we don't pick it up in this version of the Bible. In fact, very few English versions pick it up because it just sounds a little bit clunky. But let me read to you what this is literally saying. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather think of yourself with sober thinking in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to you. Thinking, 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 thinking. Four times he says we need to think right. And that's just flowing on from what he said in verse 2. That is the transformation through the renewal of our minds. The first implication is that we need to think of ourselves according to the grace of God. Now, a big implication of this, I think, in our world that so values self-esteem is to realize the way forward is not self-esteem, it's to appreciate God's esteem. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. It's not that, hey, you were so great that God looked into the future and he thought, I've got to save that person. No, it's while you were still sinners, while I was still an enemy of God, that God chose out of his grace, out of his mercy, to offer us forgiveness through Christ. And therefore, we ought to think of ourselves as people who have received the grace of God. And when you've been given a gift, and that's what grace is, you don't puff yourself up with pride for what you've earned. You haven't earned it. It's a bit like the difference, um, you, know, you know how sometimes people get honorary degrees? Might be a famous person like Nelson Mandela or I think Bob Hawke had a few honorary degrees and sometimes famous movie stars and, and actors and so on get an honorary degree at a university. There's no point parading their expertise. They're, they're not becoming a doctor in that area because they did five years of study. It's been given to them as a gift. Maybe, maybe you'd say, well, look, it's, it's in response to what they've already been doing and so it's recognition but it's not recognition in God's case to us. God gives us what we don't deserve. 
And therefore, gospel thinking, gospel thinking is, but for the grace of God go I. See, but for the grace of God go I to my death and to my destruction. But for the grace of God, I am under his judgment for eternity. And now, because of the grace of God, I'm set free. I'm set free to live, to enjoy the life that he's given me to live. And, and therefore, according to the gospel, as I renew my mind, as I focus upon the grace of God, as I bring that reality to bear, that should influence the way that we think and then speak and then act. And so he says, we should think of ourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of us. See, the gospel doesn't show us how valuable we are, that God just had to save us. No, the gospel shows how gracious God is that he would save even us. You see the difference? Therefore, let us not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Humility, you see, is the way of the Christian life. I heard this recently, that humility is the new black. And I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I think it kind of means humility is the new cool, right? So if you, if you want to come across well, then come across as humble because that's cool. And that's a long way from what we see here. The humility flows from genuinely being shown mercy, the grace of God. So the gospel has big implications for our personal identity. But we also see when we read on to verses 4 and 5 that it's got big implications for our corporate identity, for, for being a body together. So I have a relationship with Jesus because of grace, but we have a relationship with Jesus together because of grace and with each other because of grace. We've been brought into a family. And so we see these words, verse 4, For just as each of us has one body with many members, or many parts to our body, right? Fingers and toes and, and well, I was going to say hair, beards and, and all the different parts of our body. Right? Just as we have one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, right? My, my finger does different things to what my stomach does. My heart does different things to what my ears do and so on. We need the whole. He says, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Friends, there's some powerful stuff here that really sinks to the very heart of our identity. Who are we? Well, we are together in Christ. We belong to Christ. We were with him as he died on the cross. We're with him as he's raised from the dead. We're incorporated into Christ and God treats us through Christ. But not only individually, now as we're in Christ, we're in the body of Christ. And we belong to Christ and therefore to each other. We're united and our differences, <clears throat> which we'll see more of next week, our differences are for the sake of each other. So when it comes to the church, we're not all, and to quote Paul in his letter to the Corinthians that we looked at uh, a year ago, we, we're not all ears, we're not all eyes, we, we don't all have the same function, we don't all have the same gifts, but what we have is for the sake of the whole and that's the point here. We though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. You see, we belong to each other. We need each other. We're valuable to each other. Um, we, we belong to each other. And the danger is, of course, that we can forget that. We, we can have this view that, hey, look, I don't need to be with anybody else to be Christian. 
And whilst technically that's true, you weren't made a Christian in order to be on your own, simply you and God. No, God has called you into a body and he's called you to live and to serve in that body, to belong to each other. That, that I think, is behind what's been so difficult for us over the last few weeks, when we've not been able to connect in the same way with each other because it's, it's actually mean we've had to go against what Christ has made us for. We've been put in Christ for the sake of each other. And that's why I think there's great things to be looking forward to as we can reconnect with each other. And maybe as we look at passages like this, with a fresh appreciation that we have each other and that we're not alone. There's also implications, I, I think, for the way that we, we think about church. See, the, the temptation, and it's not helped, I think, by online church. The temptation is to have a consumer attitude to church, uh, to, to kind of be a spectator, to be an observer, to be part of the audience, to sit back like the, uh, like, like the audience who are listening and critiquing even. But no, we are to belong, we're to engage, we're here for each other, we belong to each other. So humility is the key to this. Because I'm not important, no, we are important. And I'm not more important than you, and you're not more important than each other. And we belong to each other. And we, in Christ, are able to look backwards and to see what God has done for us and to see that it's all of God. It's all grace. It's all mercy. It's undeserved and it's very generous. And we in Christ are able to look forward by grace, knowing that everything we have comes from God and, and we are looking forward to a life with God for all eternity through Christ. We're, we're looking forward to new life. We're looking forward to being with Christ in praise of God forever and ever. We belong to Christ, we're connected to each other, and we will enjoy an eternity together. But here and now, friends, we're also encouraged through the grace of God here and now to look outwards, not to look within. Um, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Humility. Do you know what the antidote is to humility? Don't look at yourself too much at all. Put the mirror away. Put the metaphorical mirror away. Stop thinking about your needs. Stop thinking about our wants and desires. Start thinking about those around us. That's the way to humility. To actually properly put others' needs before ourselves. To look around about us. That's the antidote to pride. It's the antidote to self-pity. It's the antidote to envy. It's the antidote to insecurity. It's the antidote to independence. It's the antidote um, to tribalism. It's the antidote to broken relationships and to dissatisfaction. The grace of God. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me and you and us together so that we might be here for each other in reflecting our worship of God. Let's remember the grace of God. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for your grace towards us. We thank you for your generous kindness. 
that reminds us that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And thank you for that. But, but help us to recognize that, to think about that, to understand that, to live that out so that we are not preoccupied with our own selves, but we're able to look out to see that we're part of a body that has different members, different parts that all belong to each other. And over the weeks to come, as we transition out of lockdown into meeting together again, as we, as we work through this chapter over the weeks ahead, may we learn more and more and be able to put into practice more and more what it is to be a part of your body. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.